Good morning and welcome to Summer at the Movies. And uh, I mentioned yesterday on Facebook that I'd be speaking today and ask people to guess what movies uh, or what movie I might be highlighting this morning in the message. I got all kind of answers and it was very interesting uh, in some of those replies. But I want you to know if you're new to Kirby or just kind of checking us out or maybe you've been coming here a long time and, and uh, you've been on vacation, you didn't know we were in the series, I want you to know really quick that uh, we're not doing a sermon series against movies. Okay, it's not even for movies. I mean, that's not it. We're not preaching necessarily from the movies. Our our goal here is to take what we feel like are some great life lessons and, and correlate those from God's word, the ultimate truth that we want to speak from uh, this morning. And and as a pastor, I got to tell you, and I think most teachers or, or pastors, even if you're a Sunday school teacher, uh, this may be something you're a little bit cursed with at time from time to time um, when you watch movies or TV shows, I always find myself looking at biblical illustrations. It's like, that would be a great illustration for a message, you know, and, and those kind of things. It just happens to me. My kids get tired of it sometimes uh, because uh, the, it also turns into uh, uh, some great D6 moments and where we can take and just kind of correlate uh, those kind of things. Matter of fact, Claire has gotten famous for saying, Dad, or do we have to have church again, you know? And, and uh, she's just really, really tough on me sometimes. Our, our kids can be that way. But I love this because I love movies. I love popcorn. I love great sound systems. I love the big screen and, and just being drawn in. And I also, um, I, love, I love superhero movies. And um, uh, some of you may be disappointed because I'm not really like a Marvel guy or a DC guy, either one. I, I really, I don't even have a favorite uh, superhero. I, I know it, that may be disappointing to you, right? But I don't. Um, uh, but I do want to tell you we're going to focus a little bit this morning on, uh, on Wonder Woman. You can just go back to that, that clip. You may not know this. This was interesting for me. Uh, this comic, uh, it's a DC comic, was created back in the 40s, and it was by a gentleman uh, by the name of um, Marston who created this, William uh, Marston. He was an American psychologist who invented the systolic, systolic blood pressure uh, measuring machine. From that, uh, derived what is now known as a lie detector test or the polygraph test, which is interesting because in this comic book series of Wonder Woman, she has this this truth lasso that when she lassos someone, it forces them to tell the truth. And ultimately, this guy who wrote this comic is the guy that was responsible for us having the modern day polygraph test. I just thought that was a little bit uh, fascinating. And women, you're going to like this. Ladies in the house, guys, just this is going to be tough for you. But also, I want you to know that uh, Marston's experiments in psychology led him to believe that women were fundamentally more honest than men. Wow, none of you agree with that. I'm, ladies, that was your moment, right? He also felt that the future of humankind lay in the hands of women. Again, where are you? This was your moment, right? I can understand the guys being silent, but ladies, come on. I mean, this guy was for you, and uh, one of the ways he wanted to get his message out about uh, women and, and believing in you know, their power of you know, being honest and all those kind of things was through comic books. He wanted a woman who would rival Superman, so to speak, in comics. And so that's why he came out with this. Now, again, I mentioned I don't really have a favorite superhero, but some of you may. How many of you are Superman people? 
Hello, guys. Come on. Oh, one. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man. No. I have one superhero fan in the house today. Uh, two. Two. Thank you. Uh, Iron Man. The Hulk. You can't be them all, but it's okay. Uh, yeah. So, Mr. T. Yeah, Mr. T wasn't a superhero. I'm just playing with you, right? Pity the fool. Uh, but uh, he was a great guy, and that was one of the shows I grew up with, so now you're with me maybe just a little bit. Uh, if, if you're like me, uh, growing up, um, I'll tell on myself in the 70s, um, I had to wait till Saturday mornings to catch my superhero fix, so to speak, to watch cartoons because they only came on Saturday mornings on one of our eight TV channels. There'll be more young people in the next service, and they're going to be mesmerized at some of the stuff I'm going to share with you right now. Uh, but we had this one little TV, and I was my dad's remote control. Do you, any of you know what that means? Right? Amen, right? Some of you were there. There's the TV. No remote control. It was a knob that you turned to one of those eight channels. How many of you had the wonderful experience of climbing on top of the house or up a tower to change the antenna? Dad's yelling out the window, son, a little more to the right. I can't get PBS, you know, as one of those channels or something, you know, and, and I'm up there on the house. Dad didn't send me up with a helmet. He didn't send me up with knee pads, elbow pads, no hand sanitizer, none of that kind of stuff. Kids today are spoiled rotten, I'm just telling you, right? Uh, and that was it. No bungee cord, no parachute. Get up there and fix it because we had to see what was coming on. And for me, it was important because of Saturday mornings. I love that. Um, maybe you were like me and you grew up running around the house uh, with a makeshift cape and because of what you read in comics or in books and maybe seen on the cartoons or in the movies that you got to see, there was this, I don't know, imagination of wanting to be a superhero, of wanting to have those, those special powers and abilities so that you could really make a difference in your neighborhood or in your world and your community or in your family, whatever it might be. And I think a lot of us have grown up with that. The problem is, uh, for most of us, we, we know that these aren't real characters. And we know people really don't have, you know, a cape and aren't able to, to fly and leap a building with a sing, single bound and stop bullets and all of these kind of things. And I think for some of us, the struggle that we end up having in life, later in life, is that we realize we don't have those superpowers. We don't have, you know, Superman's cape or Wonder Woman's bulletproof, you know, uh, bracelets or her lasso of truth or we weren't even voted most likely to succeed in our high school class. We weren't the top of the cheerleader group or the, the best athlete and, and none of those awards or things came to us in high school. As a matter of fact, we've, we've made some mistakes in life and, and we've lost a job or we've failed at a business or, or a relationship, and because of our past and our mistakes and the fact that we know we don't have these superpowers, we sometimes feel like we can't make a difference. We just kind of sit back because we don't believe that we're capable of changing anyone's life or impacting anyone for the good, let alone trying to save the world, and that's just not true. And I want you to gather this. I want you to see this here this morning. And, and one of the things I loved about the Wonder Woman movie was uh, one of the characters, uh, this is Captain, uh, Captain Steve Trevor. And uh, I love this because Steve was a normal guy. Now, if you've seen, the, how many have seen the movie? 
Okay, some of you have. If you haven't, I'll give a few things away. I apologize. It'll be good for you to go see. Steve actually refers to himself as above average guy. Most guys think that about themselves, ladies, okay? And so that's kind of where he was. And, uh, but he was just a normal guy with this big heart of wanting to, to make a difference. A, a soldier, you know, with this belief that he could, you know, make a difference in the battle. He could help save someone's life and he could help stop you know, this incredible enemy that was taking place here in this part of the movie. And I love this because at, at one point at the beginning of the movie, when he first is introduced to Wonder Woman on the, the island of the Amazon women, you know, he, he encourages her. He needs her to help him fight the battle and save the world, so to speak, to stop the war. But then later in the movie, there is this scene that's just so powerful in which in which Wonder Woman learns a new truth about her upbringing that it just crushes her to the core. Things she'd been taught as a child weren't what she thought they were, and she's literally just frozen in her tracks in the midst of this battle. She can't move. She can't do anything. And Steve, the normal guy, Captain Steve, looks at the, the superhero, and he says, I've got to go. I've got to do something. I can't stay here. And it was the normal guy, the ordinary guy, or the above average guy, who jumps back in and races back into the battle. And I love that particular scene because I believe that potential is in every single one of us through the grace and the power and the mercy of God in our lives. And we're going to look at that today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. I love the story of Nehemiah. This isn't a comic book hero. This is an actual person who lived and is written about in scripture. And we can study a little bit about his life and see how God moved and worked through him. And there's some uh, three lessons in particular I want us to draw from Nehemiah and how God used him as an ordinary hero to make an unbelievable impact in the people around him. And how God can do the very same thing through us and these three particular qualities. Now, the book of Nehemiah is a tough book to find. It's in the Old Testament. If you have to look at the table of contents, don't feel bad. It's okay. For me, it started on page 490. If that helps you out, you can find it there, okay? I'll also have the scripture up on the screen to help you out. But let me just start here by saying this. If you're here this morning, and you were the brightest of the bright in your high school class and college class, uh, if you were you know, the, the, the top athlete or the top cheerleader, if, if you were voted most likely to succeed, I've got great news for you. God can still use you. He really can. God can still use even you. Because here's what I don't want you to miss here this morning. If there's one thing you can walk out the doors with this morning, I want you to get this, that God specializes in using ordinary people. Look at the person next to you and say, you're ordinary. Now, let me define what I mean by ordinary, because we understand that as a child of God, we're not ordinary in the world's eyes. But at at the cross, we're all on a, at the base of the cross, we're all on a level playing field. We're all just child or children of the king, saved by his grace and his mercy. And the potential that God has given us is is a God-given potential. And God wants to move and work through our lives. And and God specializes in using ordinary people. You don't have to be Wonder Woman, Batman, Spider-Man, or Iron Man to make a difference in the world. And that, that should just be a wonderful, wonderful truth for you to leave here with today. That God specializes 
and using ordinary people. And I bet you that somewhere in the history of your life, however short or long it is, you can look back and you can think of someone right now who is an ordinary person. It may have been a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or a neighbor, someone, a boss, or a coach in high school that was an ordinary person that made a significant impact in your life and your relationship with God. Because God used them in one of these three ways that we're going to talk about here this morning. And so we want to look at this. Who was Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And uh, let me just explain real quick what that is if you're not sure. Uh, A cupbearer had an easy job, but in the same sense it was a tough job. It was an easy job as long as things were going well and no one was trying to kill the king because he served King uh, Artaxerxes and, and his job was to sample anything the king was to drink before the king would drink it. The reason being, if someone wanted to poison the king and they slipped poison in his drink, it would kill Nehemiah before it would kill the king. Great job to have, right? As long as everything's going well, nothing's been slipped into the drink, it's a wonderful job. Otherwise, you're gone, they're replacing the cupbearer. Commentaries would refer to Nehemiah as being kind of this modern-day butler, okay? That's sort of what he was. He was just an ordinary guy. I don't want you to miss this. An ordinary guy that God is going to impact and touch his his heart and his life, and he's going to open his heart to God, and God's going to do some incredible things through him. So look with me here in Nehemiah chapter 1, and look at uh, uh, verse 1 with me. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, let me stop there and give some explanation, because Kislev is not in our calendar. Some of you may be wondering, what in the world does this mean? Um, That's sort of the time of year of November or December-ish. I mean, it's, you know, for us, we're decorating for Christmas. They wouldn't have been decorating for Christmas. This was 444 years before Christ. He wasn't even born yet. And so, uh, but that's the time of year that it was. The area of Susa was kind of what we would call modern-day Iran. So that's kind of where that's taken place. And then here's what it says in verse 2. Han and I, one of uh, my brothers, came from Judah with some other men... And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in, are in great trouble. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then verse 4, look at this. This is powerful. Don't miss it. Matter of fact, would you read this out loud with me? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now let me unpack this just a little bit so you can kind of understand what was taking place. Um, the walls of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem there had been down for 140 years years. And as a result, the people of God were, were embarrassed. Uh, they felt ashamed, but they, they were also endangered because they'd lost the safety and the protection that the wall had given them. And to put it into our modern day terms, if there was a wall around the city of Flat Rock that protected us and here our place of worship, it would be like the wall had come down in the late 1800s, 140 years ago. And here was Nehemiah hearing this story of what had taken place. And he's being so moved by it. 
Now, what, what happened here to cause this to take place? Well, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've studied this story of all, you know that God told the Jewish people, hey, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey me, there's always what to disobey me. What happens? There's consequences, right? And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, they, they had disobeyed God. They had created false idols. And there were all these different times, types of things that were, that were going on. And so God said, as a result, the consequences I'm going to allow is the Babylonian people, the Babylonian army to come in, and they're going to destroy the city, destroy the walls, destroy the temple, which was significant because it was their place of worshiping God for them. And so these people, their, their city was destroyed, the walls destroyed, the gates were burned, they were taken into captivity. Later on, uh, when the, uh, the Persians had become the world dominant power, they allowed a small remnant of Jewish people to go back. And they tried to rebuild the temple, but it was nothing like it had been before. And they still were distraught, they were in dismay, they, they were so down and vulnerable and broken. And every now and then, you see this happen in people's lives. And maybe it's happened to you. Well, I, I call it this Captain Steve Trevor moment. When Nehemiah heard about this and he was so anguished, he was about a thousand miles away. Get this from the city. This is powerful. He's a long ways away, but he still hears the story. This is his people. This is where you know his ancestors have been buried. And he's so heartbroken. He had a Steve Trevor moment that said, I've got to go in. I've got to make a difference. I've got to go. I, I can't let this stand. And maybe this has happened bef before to you. You see somebody who's being bullied or, or misused or, or, or abused, and, and you just want to stand up and, and say, no, this, this can't go on this way. I've got to make a difference in this situation. And that's what you do. I want to show you that there are three principles that we can gain from this particular story here this morning that I hope that you'll take home, that you'll let God kind of speak to your heart. The first one is this, number one, ordinary heroes that God will use are people who are broken and moved to tears. It starts with this brokenness and, and, and even being moved to the point of tears. That's what God does through ordinary world changers before they step up. And it, it's found there in, in verse 4 when he said, when I heard these things, what did he do? He sat down and he wept. It's the same thing that Jesus did as he entered into Jerusalem and he, he seen that the temple ha had been turned into a marketplace. It said that Jesus wept and he said, it's as if the people are sheep without a shepherd. And Nehemiah, in the same sense, he hears this story and he is so broken, he is so crushed for his people that he wants to do something, not for himself, but for someone else. Now, this type of brokenness is actually seen over and over again throughout the, the movie Wonder Woman. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. At one point, Captain Trevor has to compel Wonder Woman to leave the island to join the fight, right? And, and, and there's another point in the story in which the movie slows down into slow motion because her desire was to get to the front line of the battle. That's where she felt like she could make the biggest difference and stop the war. And as they're nearing the front of the battle lines, they're seeing soldiers wounded and dying and the anguish on her face. She's distraught and she's, she's wanting to help so bad you can tell she wants to put an end to this. She wants to stop this. This is what she was called to do. And you kind of see the same thing even with Captain Steve in this moment. Now, I don't know about you, 
I've seen this in my own life, and it's not something I'm, I'm thrilled to admit to, but I think that it's easy for us sometimes to become sheltered and protect our own mind and our own heart from the things that are happening around the world, the bad things that might even be happening within our own communities. Because for us, when we see these things taking place on TV, it's easy to turn the channel. We see starving kids, and, and we see those commercials, and they're so hard for us to see, and it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around, so it's easier to turn the channel and get up and go make a sandwich, right? I mean, we find ourselves in that way because of, of the comfort of, of where we live and how we are in our homes and in our safe places, and yet it very well could be there are people within our own community who are struggling to get more than one good meal a day, and yet it's easy for us just to kind of turn those feelings off or to harden our hearts, so to speak, or to, to try to protect ourselves and not allow ourselves to be moved by that. And yet, here's Nehemiah, a thousand uh, uh, miles away, 140 years displaced from what had taken place, being crushed by the news of what he had heard and being willing to step out on faith. I want to I ask you something. What breaks your heart? What is it for you that breaks your heart for the things that break the heart of God? Maybe for you it's something like child abuse or neglect. You just can't, you can't handle that. You see that and it, it moves you to tears. What is it that, that moves you to brokenness and to tears? Is it, is it abandonment or orphans? Is it physical or sexual abuse? Human trafficking? People being bullied or, or broken families? Poverty? Hunger? Unwed moms? People with no hope? Or people lost without Christ? What is it that breaks your heart? And then I want to ask you even a tougher question. I mean, when is the last time you wept over something like this? And if it's been a long time or if it's been never, then maybe this morning God's got you here because he wants you to take your spiritual heartbeat, to check your pulse, your systolic blood pressure, so to speak, and to see where that's at. And if, if there's nothing there, why? Because I truly believe that God wants to break our hearts for the things of this world. And God wants to do something through you, an ordinary person, to make a difference and impact. Not, maybe not in, in a huge way in everybody's lives, because we know we all can't do that. But I know in someone's life, in someone's life, God can use you, an ordinary person, to become an ordinary hero through him to make a difference. You see, I believe God can turn your misery into your ministry. I believe that God can take your brokenness and turn it into your breakthrough or someone else's breakthrough. But we have to open our heart. We have to allow first God to break our hearts. And we have to shed a few tears through that, that process even. And this is what we saw happening in Nehemiah. Now secondly, what it was it that, that, that allowed Nehemiah to become this ordinary hero? And the second thing was this. God uses people who seek him. People who seek after him. In verse 4 it says, for some days he mourned. And then what did he do? He fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. This past weekend, Julie and I took a trip um, to the Upper Peninsula. We'd never been further north 
uh, than Petoskey. And so um, to celebrate our 27th year of marriage coming up in July, I said, let's plan a little trip. She finished school, and man, we, we got in the car, and we took off and went north, and it is spectacular. It is amazing. It's everything I'd ever heard of uh, when it comes to the UP. It was, it was just, it was beautiful. We hiked over 20 different uh, uh, waterfalls. There's over 200 waterfalls in, in the Upper Peninsula and, and just had a, a gorgeous time. We took a sunset tour along Pictured Rocks National Shoreline. How many of you have done that before? If you haven't, man, I highly encourage it. It's just so beautiful. Uh, Lake Superior is incredible. It's amazing. And one of the sites we saw, this, this is called Chapel Rock, and it's this was so interesting to me. Again, as a pastor, I'm on this tour relaxing in the, in the UP, and I'm thinking of, of sermon illustration. I thought, man, that is an illustration, because here's a tree growing on a rock. Plants and trees can't grow on hard rocks, right? They've got to have dirt. They've got to have nutrients. They've got to have moisture and water, and, and a rock can't provide that. But if you look closely at this tree, just to my left and to your right, go back to that first picture if you can, you'll notice... What happened years and years ago as this, as this tree grew, the roots stretched across. Now, there used to be an archway of, of rock that connected this tree, chapel rock, and this tree to the mainland, to dirt, to nourishment, to moisture, right? But in the 40s, that, that archway fell and it left the roots, and the roots were big enough and strong enough and deep enough into the ground that the tree remains. There you can see the roots stretching out towards Lake Superior, and you can see the size of them. And it's, it's those roots that are connected to that tree that keep the tree alive. It was so incredible to me. Nehemiah understood you see, he got it. He knew his roots went deep into his relationship with the God of the universe. And he knew that what God was calling him to do could never be achieved without God and the strength and the power that comes only from knowing God and spending time on your knees and begging God to help you through what he was calling you to do. Listen, even bad people in this, I should be careful I say that, even people without a relationship with God do good in the world. People who are far from God have a heart and understand and realize they can do good in this world and they can feed, feed hungry children and they can, they can make a difference and make an impact, right? I just want to challenge you here this morning. If God is calling you to something, if, if what he's calling to isn't beyond your own strength and your own beauty and your own wisdom, then maybe it's not big enough. Because God loves to call us to those places to where we have to step out on faith. And we have to allow our roots to grow strong into him so that we're drawing all of our strength from him. For some of you, it may be standing up for the very first time in front of a little kid's Sunday school class and teaching a lesson because that is not easy for you. For others, it could be carrying food to a neighbor next door and introducing yourself. And you're afraid of, you know, if they'll like your cooking or not. I don't know. It's just tough, right? It's moving way beyond and outside of your comfort zone. It could be something very small. Or it could be something so significant like Nehemiah, after 140 years, stepping up and saying, I want to rebuild the wall. I want to rebuild the temple for my people. 
But it always, it always takes us having our roots buried deep into the word of God that brings strength and nourishment and time on our knees, loving God and growing in our relationship and begging God to give us the strength that we need to do what he's calling us to do. So God uses people who are first broken, people who seek him, and then thirdly, get this, God uses those who stand up and act. There comes a point in time where you've got to stop praying and do something, right? There comes a point in time where you, you don't try to form a committee and you don't start another Bible study to figure out what God's trying to say. You just do something because God's calling you. You've been broken about this and you've been praying about it and you're drawing strength from God and you just got to do something. And this is what we see that Nehemiah begins to do. He goes before the king and he commissions the king which was a very, very, very bold move for a cupbearer to do. And he says, listen, send me to the city where my fathers are buried so that I what? So that I can rebuild it. Not so that he could call other people to do it. Not so that he could complain about it. Not, not, not any of those kind of things, but so that he could begin to do the work himself. Give me the task. God's broken me. And I've been praying and I'm relying on God to help me to do what no one else could do for 140 years because I'm an ordinary man and God can do ordinary things through or, or can do extraordinary things through ordinary people through his strength and his grace and his mercy. I flew in late last night from DC. Uh, I'm not a late night person. I'm a morning person. My flight came in at midnight. And uh, but I'd spent the last couple days in uh, just outside of D.C., spending some time with Brian and Renee Lewis. Uh, I first heard of Brian and Renee about 12 years ago, and I'm sorry it's not a bigger picture. That's their entire family. Um, Brian and Renee, just over 20 years ago, adopted a little girl from China. And through that process, this ordinary couple uh, living just outside of Washington, D.C., felt God calling them to make an impact in the orphan crisis in the world. And so they started an adoption agency called America World because there, there weren't a lot of agencies then who were helping Christian families adopt internationally. Today, after 20 years of ministry, America World has helped over 4,200 orphans find their forever family. And yesterday we celebrated with a dozen of those families that live right there in the Virginia area uh, with a little bit of a reunion. And then I flew in late last night and it was powerful to see what God can do through people who are sold out and broken and willing to trust him. This past January, we took a team to, to Uganda and we met this young lady. Her name's Domily. And Domily runs a, a baby home called the Sangalo Baby Home, just outside of Jinja. There's some of the children we got to meet. She's got about 40 under the age of four because she was broken at the sight of people leaving and abandoning babies on the street. And she simply said, God, I've got to do something. She wept, she prayed, and she began to take them in. And now she runs this home. Just over five years ago, in a, in a life group over here, there were, there were some people who were impacted by a story of a family who had a child fighting cancer. And they said, we've got to do something. They, they were broken over this, and they said, we've got to step up, and we've got to make a difference. This isn't right. They need hope, and they need love. And, and so they, they set out to host 
a weightlifting competition in our church. And after five years, this ministry called Relentless Detroit has raised over $750,000. That's a God thing. And through that, they've been able to help families with children with life-debilitating diseases and, and, and buy cars and fix roofs and pay medical bills and pay mortgages so that they can love on their children and spend time with their kids. And it all started out of a brokenness of a few people and some weeping and some praying and some stepping up. So here's my question to you this morning. Where... Has God broken your heart? Where is it that you've been shedding some tears? And what's it been that you've been shedding some tears over? And what is it that God's calling you to do? It may be for you here this morning that you're not at that place yet. When you, when you take your spiritual heartbeat, it's just not there. You're missing that relationship with God, and that's why you're here, because you're seeking that out. And I want you to know that God loves you, He's got a purpose and a plan for your life, and he so desperately desires to have a personal relationship with you that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you can have your sins forgiven and enter into this relationship with your, with your heavenly father. And it's, a, it's an unbelievable experience when you do that and you make that step. And maybe for you, you've done that. And it's been a long time ago. Like me, I was nine years old. And, and maybe for you, it's been a long time since God's broken your heart because you've been turning the channel. You've been turning your head. And maybe it's time for you as you take your pulse to say, God, would you break my heart? Would you use me, an ordinary person, to make a difference in this world for you and your kingdom? Would you help me to shed some tears? Because I guarantee you there are people around you. There are things in this world that God would call you to step up and do that you never would dream that he could do through you. And it's an amazing faith journey. It may be that God's been dealing with some of you and you've, you've been in that process. You've been weeping and you've been praying. And maybe God this morning just wants to say to you, stand up. It's time. Stand up. Step out on faith. Trust me. Do what I'm calling you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to pray with you this morning. As we close this morning, if God's dealing with your heart, we're going to have just a moment.